Martin, we are on a productivity tear today. Are we? Where yeah. are we tearing? Uh, I don't know. T- paper? I don't know. <laughs> Phrases and what they mean. Yeah, like exactly. I don't know what they mean. That's the secret. Well, I need to get this podcast document up real quick here. Yep. Oh, look, there it is. Bam. So what are we talking about today, my friend? Uh, it looks like we're talking about how one could go about such a thing as balancing work and school. That's impossible. Yep. You can't do it. That's it. That's impossible. Episode One or the other. Over. You can't. If Done. you want to make money, you need to quit school. Turn this podcast off. Quit something. Yeah. Didn't your mom ever tell you that you need to treat school like a full-time job and don't. never have a job in the middle of your school semester? Don't listen to whatever we're saying right now. Don't. Yeah, don't listen, listen to mom. Listen later. She says that. Listen after this part. <laughs> no, I think this is a good topic to cover. Yeah. Because I am a big fan of having a job during college, during school. I was a big fan of having money during college. Yeah, absolutely. Big fan. Because a lot of my friends were like, oh, I can't go get a burrito tonight because I have no money. And I'm like, well, that sucks. Looks like I'm going to get a burrito because I have a job. What is college if one cannot buy burritos? Yeah, I know. Isn't that half of why you go? That is indeed half of why you go. Especially since there tend to be very good burrito places in yeah, college there were, towns. There were good burrito selections. That's there was there were two like super high quality burrito places in our college town, and that's enough data for me to make the judgment call. College yeah. towns are like a nexus or breeding ground, if you will, for just the best burrito yep. places. I breed burritos. Burritos. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll see myself out Something. now. Something. <laughs> anyway, stuff that isn't burritos. What jobs did you have as a college student? As a college student. Okay, in community college, technically. So that, that counts, too. In community college, I got a job doing IT desktop support. I was an internship there. So I worked for the school covering the whole, the whole college. And then in, at Iowa State, I got a desktop support job. Then later, I did a web development temporary job. Then I did another desktop support job. Then I quit that for something else. And then I did another desktop support job. And then I did freelance work with you. Oh, yeah. And I think that basically – and then I got my internship at Flying Hippo, after which I got a full-time job at Flying Hippo. So that's the whole – tons of everything tech-related over and over and over and over and over. So wait, did you have four desktop support jobs? Did I count that correctly? I worked at one desktop support job at two times. Oh, okay. So it's not a separate job. I came back to the same people because uh, – You just had a gap. Yeah, I had a gap where I was working because there was a – it was a limited project web dev yeah. position that I took. And then there was another web dev one, but I took that and I was like, this is a thousand times above my level. Um, you need to hire somebody with like five years more experience than me. Bye. That does seem to be – desktop support. That does seem to be a trend with certain college departments well, where they will, they will make a student job – with student job it pay. It was so intense. And, and I, I was a decent developer, but it yeah. was way above. Like, And, and after, <laughs> after I quit that, I kept seeing that same opening pop up, and they'd keep raising the amount of money they were paying for whoever would do it. So apparently yeah. they, were, they were struggling because they were asking too much. Well, I don't know if it was the same department, but I do remember going through the, the student job board on Access Plus, and I'm, I found a web development position that they were hiring for, and... I remember thinking to myself that the requirements they have listed here rival what I've seen in the real world for positions that they're asking like five plus experience or five plus years experience for. Yeah. And then I scroll down to the bottom and it was like starting pay 
nine dollars an hour. Yeah, and they're like giving you school wages, <laughs> which which is decent, but you can't expect like crazy full time employee work like yeah. that. I think like occasionally you get the prodigy web developer student who can do that stuff and who is a genius. And I ran into a couple during my time at Iowa State, but most of them, uh, and I worked in the web development department, so I knew quite a few, were good, but they weren't professional level developers, which is fine because they're being paid not professional level developer wages. Yeah. (laughs) So you had basically all IT jobs. Nothing but IT. Okay. Over and over and over. That's interesting. So, I mean, I would say that your jobs were all tier one jobs. Uh, and I have I have this like tier list that I like to think tier, tier of. Tier one in what sense, yeah. So I have this thing in my head that I like to call the part-time job desirability hierarchy. Oh, I see for where students. this is going. Yep. And this factors a lot into balancing school and work actually. So in my head, and you're free to disagree with this, the uh, tier one is any major specific job. So any kind of job that counts as direct experience in the area that you're hoping to get a full-time job in after college using your degree. Yeah. Stuff that looks dope on your resume. Exactly. So for me, um, I'm, I'm going to break the jobs that I did in college down by these tiers because I had a lot of jobs. You have like, you have like 90,000 jobs. So you're going to need to categorize 90,000 jobs. I could probably do my own like Mike Rowe-esque dirty jobs show just about the jobs I've already had. Yeah. <laughs> Except for most of them weren't that dirty. They like weren't that maybe dirty. one or two were dirty. Uh, I worked in the solution center, so that was desktop support. I was answering phones, helping people fix their internet problems, helping professors change the font size in Microsoft Word because that's apparently something they have to be told how to do every other week. (laughs) Um, I eventually worked in the virus removal lab there, so I got to learn how to remove viruses from computers, which was very, very helpful. Um, I don't think that my skills are super applicable today because – well, viruses at have the gotten time, a little bit more sophisticated. Pretty good, pretty good experience then. Yeah, I mean, it was actually pretty cool that I knew how to do something that Geek Squad would probably charge like three hundred dollars for. Yeah, and in most cases, it's literally like a two minute fix if you know how to do it. You basically yeah, you just need to know. Out. You, you just throw it out. Yeah, you just throw it out the window. Don't care. Yeah, uh, my recommendation is to buy a new computer. Two minutes. No, but I mean, in most cases, it was literally you just have a few directories that you know are kind of like the hotbeds for where viruses usually hide out. Oh, yeah. And so you would go through the command prompt. You would look for things that have been added to the directories recently, and if they look suspicious, you had to delete them. Command prompt? What is this, the matrix? Yeah. And then, you know, you just mess with the registry a little bit sometimes. You run a bunch of virus scan software to clean up the things you might have missed, and usually, at least back then, that was good enough to take care of most viruses. Today, there's like CryptoLocker and BitLocker and all those. BitLocker is not a virus. <laughs> BitLocker is an actual <laughs> encryption technology built into Microsoft Windows. Sue you. That ain't a virus. <laughs> CryptoLocker is a virus. And it's one that hopefully no one listening to this ever gets because some nasty stuff that you can't remove. Just got to pay for. I might just throw my computer out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, if you get CryptoLocker, you pretty much just have to pay the ransom. Well, like, I have everything backed up at all times. So that's true. Yeah, I guess if it doesn't touch your backups. I mean, I have a backup. But Every file I have is always backed up in like three places. So I guess. How quickly is it backed up? Do you, do you have everything in Dropbox or Drive or whatever you use? Dropbox and my time machine. 
Oh, not, not, you like actually the, like used time the machine. The Mac backup method time machine. I don't. Well, okay. I don't put my so the other thing, time. you use a Mac. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure there's no crypto locker yeah. for Mac. <laughs> so yeah. it feels good. So there you go. You're you're good. Um, but still, uh, PC Master Race, Windows but, is but great, still, the best. Uh, backup Somehow. stuff is pretty important, regardless of what system you're on. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, so I also worked at the web development office on campus. I did freelance web development, which we talked about in the last episode. And then I did a summer internship at a big financial company where I was a network technician. Uh, and then my last job at college was another web development position, but it was in a research department on campus. And that was an interesting job because they hired me as the web developer. They had me do like two changes to the website. And then there came a time where they were like merging with another department. So and they were like, yo, Tom, this is going to take months for us to merge. And in that time, there will be no changes done to the website because once the merger goes through, we'll probably need a new one. So you're not fired, but there's not much for you to do. So I basically just came in and did whatever they, I they want. Paid you still? Yeah. I think they just like, on hand. they had the idea they wanted to have me on hand. So what I did is I made myself useful by turning myself into an automation expert. So uh, they actually had... They had these other student workers in the department who would go through these 80 page long word documents that were just research results from the surveys they would do out in the field. And they were all formatted the same. It was all the same like data sets, but from different schools around the country. So you have different data, but it's all in the same types of tables and everything. And there was like this, oh, I don't know, 26 step checklist that they would have to go through to format this data properly for whatever big giant corporate data processing facility wanted them to have it. Uh, and it would take three hours to do per document. So that's approximately 240, what they call man hours of work that would have to be done there. And Fun. I mean, you can multiply that by whatever they were paying the students. And they were like, Thomas, could you maybe speed that up a little bit? So I figured out how to combine auto hotkey with a windows macro and it took me about a day of fiddling with it to get it right. But once I did, I was able to push one button and it would process an 80 page document in two minutes. That is uh, exactly right. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. So we were able to get all that processing work done in a day. And then they fired the other students because you ruined their jobs. That did not happen. Oh, okay. Because I specifically said, I will only do this <laughs> if all the other students get to keep their jobs. That's fair. See, <laughs> I will only do this if you do not make me a villain. Yes. Thank you. Uh, and then I also, I automated some PDF stitching stuff that a professor had to do. That was a pretty good job. And that actually, that job was like super tier one because as, we, as we've talked about on this podcast before, the way to make your resume stay at, uh, stand out is to be able to highlight achievements that are quantifiable and show a positive effect on your job underneath your job description oh, yeah. so you can on any tell, you job. So you can be like, saved a whole bunch of man hours and exactly. money and stuff. So yeah, instead of saying like, built websites for the department or managed servers, I was able to say, create an automation script that saved 240 hours or over $2,000 of work for this department, which is pretty awesome. So those are tier one jobs because I was an MIS major looking at the time to be an IT. So those are all great experience. I would also say that that accounting job that I got fired from in high school, now I got fired from it, so it kind of erases its benefit as a tier one job because I got yeah, probably, fired. Probably don't like highlight that. On that your was a uh, stars next to it. Yeah, that was a good learning experience. 
But because it was at an accounting firm and I was learning how to reconcile, you know, accounting statements and credit card statements and I was doing bookkeeping, that wasn't direct IT experience, but I put it a little bit higher than the stuff that I'm going to talk about in tier two because it was direct business experience and it was working with computers. So tier two is what I call soft skill jobs. So these are jobs that don't directly relate to your major, but they do build those soft skills, quote unquote, that employers are looking for. Things like communication skills, organization skills, uh, you know, being able to talk on the phone or write great emails, organi- you know, organizing events, stuff like that. So I was a cyclone aide, which is Iowa State University's term for, what do they call it? Maybe a student orientation assistant is the best word for it. Basically, it was our job to help all the new incoming freshmen understand the campus, know where things were, sign up for classes, and then we also organized the huge kickoff freshman event that happened in the fall. And that taught me teamwork, organization skills, public speaking skills, leadership, all sorts of stuff that was very useful in in, uh, future jobs. And then I was also an RA. So that is a lot of management right there. Um, Honestly, a lot of dealing with paperwork, a lot of being empathetic, dealing with disputes and problems, all that kind of stuff. And I also worked at the business career services office where we got our awesome sunglasses. Oh yeah. And that was scheduling appointments for students. That was talking with the career counselors, you know, dealing with mail, doing random office stuff, but still a lot of great soft skills that complement that core set of major skills you get. So it is my opinion that you want to look for tier one or tier two jobs when you're in college, because these are jobs that directly benefit and complement your class experience and may possibly be better than what you do in class. I mean, would you say that what you did in your on-campus jobs was more beneficial? I would absolutely say that Yeah. for basically every case other than for my major. Yes. Obviously the language stuff was different, but yeah, because language is kind of your passion. Because so. that was like my secondary goal. Right. And that goal was served by classes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But my jobs taught me so much more because there was pressure. I had to accomplish things. And usually you don't get the step-by-step walkthrough of each job assignment the same way you will a classroom assignment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So hands-on experience is better than theoretical in most cases, I would think. Mm-hmm. And I mean, well, you have the experience of having a full-time job after college. Yeah. So you do have that perspective. I've never done that, but I did have my full-time internship after my sophomore year, which was at a big fortune 500. And I can say like the stuff I did in my jobs prepared me more for that internship than anything in my classes, especially because at the time I hadn't really taken any core it classes before that internship. And yet I was doing work that was pretty much the same as the full-time people there. Yeah. So it was really that solution center experience and that web development experience that helped with that. Yeah. And part of what you get from jobs is like work etiquette. Mm-hmm. Like don't annoy your boss with questions every four seconds. Stuff like yeah. that that you pick up on the interpersonal parts of working specifically that you they're not going to tell you in class. Mm-hmm. So we have two more tiers to talk about here. Ooh, I didn't even know there was going to be a fourth tier. There's four tiers okay. indeed. Okay. So tier three, still a good tier. This is what I call downtime jobs. So any kind of job where you're getting paid, but you have some free time, which allows you to work on your homework. So, and I think jobs can be in multiple tiers because Solution Center was a tier one job 
direct major experience, but it was also a tier three job because we did have downtime between calls and I used that to get homework done. Um, but if you, can if you can't find a tier one or tier two job, then a job that gives you downtime to do homework is pretty awesome because you then have more free time. It's maybe work on personal You've projects. Like doubled your time. Mm -hmm. But I will say, prioritize tier one and tier two jobs. Uh, and I actually have a story to tell here about this. So when I was at the solution center, you know, working there was a little bit of downtime, but mainly work. Another job opening popped up, and this was a job down in the basement of the same building. And essentially the job was to babysit all the servers that ran a lot of the entire university, to be honest. Um, so I was like, well, that sounds pretty cool. I'll get some direct experience with managing servers. That's some new skills to build. And hey, more downtime. So I went down and I interviewed for it. The first red flag is they were like, why are you wearing a suit? <laughs> um, I was taught to wear a suit to an interview. So I did that. And they were like, yeah, you pretty much can wear whatever you want here. You should have just Which, been like, I mean, I that's cool. in this. But what they said was, well, number one, when you start here, you have to work night shift. It would have been 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., which no thank you because I need my sleep. But the other thing is they said, really, your job here is to make sure that nothing breaks with the servers. And if something breaks or something goes wrong, you call a tech. So... There really was very little in the way of actual diagnostics or You're repair just that I was doing. Server problems. Yes. So I was like, "Well, what else do you do?" And they were like, "Well, you just kind of browse the web or watch movies or do whatever <laughs> you want." And I think a lot of college students would find that very tempting. But actually, so I had this little tempting rationalization in my head. I was like, "Whoa, if I did that." then I could sit at my desk and I could go through, you know, A plus certification or network plus certification books. I could study for IT certifications or I could work on personal projects. But I just had like this gut feeling that leaving my active job where I was solving real problems for real people and impressing my superiors and everything to move to a job where I really had no responsibilities like tied to the job. It just seemed like the wrong decision. And I'm very glad that I did not take that job because that experience with the solution center, which I continued to gain paid off. And I was yeah. able to move that into uh, transferring over to the web development department. Now that was a very specifically tier one job. Web dev had no downtime whatsoever. I was always working and I kind of missed having a little bit of downtime, but I really appreciated being able to work in an even more technical field and something I cared more about. So that was the right decision. And then we got tier four. Tier four is everything else. Like so kind of what you think about the working in the dining centers, doing, mm -hmm. doing stuff like that. Yeah. And I don't want to insinuate that those kind of jobs will teach you no skills. Clearly they'll teach you teamwork. They'll teach you organization, all that kind of stuff. But it isn't the main focus. The main focus is you get money to wash these dishes or you get money to drive this bus, whatever it may be. You get money to do this landscaping, to mow these lawns. And there is nothing wrong with that kind of work. It's honorable work. It's hard work, but it is work for money. So you're not gaining any of those ancillary benefits. You're not really 
yeah, getting that get experience other stuff yeah you're not getting the experience the that ties to your major you're not getting experience that's going to make a hiring manager look at your resume and go wow this person really stands out from the crowd because if i'm a hiring manager in an it company and i see martin over here who's got all this desktop support experience, who's got this huge freelance portfolio working for a huge uh, website redesign. And then I've got another person who majored in the same thing. Maybe their GPA is better than mine. Maybe even a better GPA, but their work experience is McDonald's or mowing lawns or something. I'd be like, cool, they have work experience, but it isn't directly applicable. So with Martin, it's like, I already have, like this literally tells me the story of what this person can do for me. Whereas like the other resume maybe i can tell you have a good work ethic potentially the resume doesn't always tell that but i at least know you've worked yeah. but i don't know if you can do the kind of work that i need you to do for me yeah it's it's uncertain for them like maybe you could yeah. do a great job nobody's saying you couldn't but they don't know that and they don't have time to risk mm-hmm. their money on just hiring random people to test them exactly so here's how this relates to balancing school and work the higher up the job is on my tier list the more important it is to your overall goals, most likely. Which means that you might not have to take as many classes or do as many clubs or overload yourself with just as, or quite as much academic work to be just as impressive on a resume. Yeah, so, so the tier one jobs can make up for a couple GPA points occasionally. Yep, or you a can, lighter schedule. You can divide your time better. So, you know, I, I would say that in, it sounds a little braggy, but I would say that I had a very competitive and compelling resume and work experience. I think that the proof is in the pudding. I got seven interview requests during my sophomore year for big companies, and then I was able to turn them all down. Pudding. It is a good pudding. And then I was able to turn them all down because principal called me and they said, hey, we know enough about you that we would like to offer you an internship without an interview. And... I took the minimum amount of credits as a student. I wasn't taking 18 credits or even 15. I was usually taking 12 credits, which is oh, yeah? four classes on average, the minimum amount to be full-time at college. And then I was doing extracurriculars and I was spending a lot of time doing part-time jobs. But those part-time jobs were getting me all that experience that I needed. So when you're looking at your goals, when you're asking yourself, what can I do to stand out? It's possible that depending on the job you select, if you can get it, that can do a lot to push you towards those goals without you having to just like pile on tons of extra coursework or tons of extra personal projects or extracurriculars. Oh yeah, you might be able to cut out a personal project that you would have been doing if you worked at Burger King, you would have been doing this big web project. But if you get to work for the web dev people, you can say, well, now I don't need that extra project on the side necessarily. Mm -hmm. So all that time can go towards class or fun or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you could possibly even work fewer hours depending on how much you need yeah. the money and still like it it will contribute. So that is like the first big main idea that I wanted to communicate in this episode because that really helped me having the knowledge that my jobs are working for me in more ways than one. And so I don't have to worry too much about my coursework and not looking like I did a ton of it. So the other, some other observations that I gained through my years of working on campus um, Google Calendar is your friend. And I guess not necessarily Google Calendar. You can use whatever calendar you want, but I think Google Calendar is a ubiquitous one that works really well. Yeah. Or you could do like a bullet journal or a planner on paper if you want. But basically you need a calendar. Um, I learned this 
very early on because I got my job at the Solution Center before my freshman semester even started. They needed to hire people to basically help all the freshmen move in and connect their Xboxes to the network or whatever. So they hired me two weeks early and I had to go train. And then I spent the week of move in working 40 hours and then moved into the semester and did 20 hours after that. Um, But the way they did scheduling at the Solution Center was they would have this giant calendar of open hours open up at the same time every week and every employee could go in and grab the hours they wanted. So essentially what happened is you'd have like a mad feeding frenzy of people like grabbing the best hours. And if you got in late, like you were basically relegated to like the midnight shift or taking like little tiny half an hour shifts here and there and you have to come in all the time. So number one, I was sitting there hitting refresh every week, the moment that the hours was going to open and grabbing the ones I wanted. But it also meant that every week I had a different schedule. It was never the same. So that forced me to get really good at using Google Calendar right away because I couldn't rely on my memory to know when I was going to work. And I had to know, okay, can I grab this block of hours here because I might have a class or maybe I have an exam or maybe I have a club that has a specific meeting this week. So I would always have to compare my calendar to the scheduler and see what's open and what actually works with my schedule. Yeah. Um, And so what you can do then is you can start to ask yourself like, what will work with uh, my preferences for how I work or how my schedule's already laid out? And what I prioritized usually was working really early in the morning and then going straight to class and I would try to batch all my classes in one big block. So that way by probably two or 3 p.m. I was actually done with everything. And that gave me plenty of time for homework, gave me plenty of time for clubs and activities, and it didn't fragment my schedule so much that it was like unable to focus on what I needed to do. Yeah, because when you fragment it, you might end up with like that spare half hour, 40 minutes, you're not doing anything, but it's not enough time to do much. Yeah. So it's just, it's not efficient. How did scheduling work for you? Like, were you able to kind of choose when you worked or was it more assigned? For the most part, I was able to choose my schedule for most of those jobs. And one of okay. them I was allowed to do remotely, so I absolutely chose that schedule because I finished it with a 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. coding sprint. It's <laughs> not a normal student hour. But yeah. So what I tried to do when I was scheduling things for the most part was batch everything. And actually, you were talking hmm. about how your your job, you would get a feeding frenzy. You'd have to get this schedule immediately. Yeah. That's also how it was for us every semester picking our class schedule. Yeah. You, we would have, at least at our school, we had the exact day, the exact hour, and the exact minute when we were allowed to register for classes. Mm-hmm. And the higher up in grades or GPA equivalent, like the more credits you had basically that made you look like a sophomore or whatever, yeah. let you register faster. So every single semester... I had every class I wanted. I'd planned this through very thoroughly with two or three options in case the ones I wanted went away. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And I would wait for the minute. I think once I actually skipped a class to do this Mm -hmm. because it was more important long term. And then I stole (laughs) it immediately. And I tried to batch everything so that I would have three day weekends when I could because that's really useful for, well, fun personal projects, homework, or just a job because then I can put a whole bunch of job hours on one day Yeah. instead of having to interrupt them with school a lot. So I'd try to batch everything early in the morning, like you said, because working in the, I did work in the evenings once, but it wasn't as fun to come home every night and everybody was already hanging out and stuff and I was working. 
Yeah, that's the thing. Like a lot of people don't think about the fun side. Yeah. When they're building these schedules, and I made sure to think about that. I was like, I've got work, I've got school, and I've got fun. Yeah. I want those to be separate from each other. Yeah. I don't want to have to be like, oh, guys, I have to go pop over to the solution center for half an hour of work. Um, can you please wait to start this movie? Yeah. Like, I didn't want to do that. But also, because I was studying various languages and just overall, I had a lot on my plate, I would schedule most things in Google Calendar, including these are the hours I'm studying some language or these are the hours that I might do homework and finish this. Mm-hmm. And this is really useful, I think, because it's very, very, very easy to sit around and basically you've got some analysis paralysis. You don't know what you're supposed to do because you've got so much to do and you're overwhelmed or you sit around and you really want to do something fun and you really want to, but you won't start to something fun because you're also feeling guilty that you should be working on something right now. So you're dreading the work. And then you sit there paralyzed, wanting to have fun, but also needing to work and doing neither. And indecision limbo is really stupid. That is a bad use of your time. Mm-hmm. So if you're more specific about here's when I'm going to do that work and maybe after a certain hour cut off, maybe like 7 p.m. and later, I'm done. I need to schedule everything before then guaranteed or it's too late. Like set up when you're having fun and when you're doing your homework and when you're doing your job so that you don't sit around being overwhelmed, wasting your precious hours. So it's almost like you're time boxing. Yeah. Even your homework. Yeah. I'm Which a can be useful. Time boxer. Now, I actually do want to give people an alternative choice. The inflection on that word was weird, but we'll <laughs> go with it. All right. <laughs> an alternative choice. Um, so I was a fan of getting everything that is a scheduled obligation done as soon as possible. Some semesters I did what I said earlier where I would do work and then I'd go to class and then I'd be able to go home. Um, There were a couple semesters where I put all the classes on Tuesday, Thursday or on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then I would like work all day on Tuesday, Thursday or whatever day there was no classes. So that worked for me, but I was able to get my homework done at home pretty well. Some people come home and like you said, they have problems with choosing what they're going to work on or they, you know, procrastinate work and they never let themselves do the real fun things. They're just on Facebook and they're, you know, just really shallowly trying to get work done. Yeah. What I found is that some people actually do better to schedule some classes in the morning or some work in the morning, schedule some class or work later in the day and to give themselves a gap of time that is not long enough to go home, but it's still long enough to get some work done. So essentially you're creating gaps of time where you have to stay on campus. It's like a study hall period. Exactly. So that puts you in the right context to do your work. So maybe you get done with, you know, some early work in the morning at a part-time job. And then you're like, awesome. I've got two hours until my philosophy class. I'm going to go park my butt in the library. I'm going to go do my homework and then I'll go to philosophy. Then it's done. And once class is done, you can truly say, I'm done for the day. I'm going to go home and have fun and we'll start work the next day. Your brain is freed. Yeah. You don't have to feel guilty all night. So I would say like, don't blindly just do what I do or what Martin does. Ask yourself like, what works for me? Do I work better when I'm under a little bit of time pressure, when I'm forced to be in an academic environment and academic context, or do I work better by getting all my scheduled stuff done as soon as possible and then going home and giving myself more flexibility and free time? I don't know which one's for you. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about was the biological primetime concept. Some people are morning people. Some people are night people. So 
Um, you can figure that out. I found that I liked to do work work. So working at the web dev or working at the solution center really early in the morning and then go to class afterwards. And I will admit I wasn't always the most active learner in class. We talk a lot about active learning on this podcast. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't always like super into my classwork. I was a very extracurricular and part-time job and personal project driven kind of person in college. So my preference was to look at the part-time jobs as the intense work and the classes as like the little bit laid back experience. Yeah. And maybe that's not how I would advise people to look at their classes, but that's how I prefer to schedule my day. Go to work first, then go to class if I can. Uh, didn't always happen because obviously you're always dealing with the limitations of what classes are available. Um, you got other considerations like is this professor and the ADM class good? Maybe this professor sucks, so I'm limited to the noon class. Oh, yeah. You know, so there's a lot of things you have to juggle and you're never going to have a perfect schedule. But you can think about what do I tend to do at different times of the day? If you're the kind of person who really likes to sleep in, don't force yourself to get up early just because some productivity guru on the internet said, hey, put your classes or your work right in the morning. No, sleep in a little bit. And then you're probably the kind of person who does really good work at night. So do your work at night. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I mean, I think I think there's not like a, a zillion small little tips to talk about here. But just to recap, um, number one, be very vigilant about getting your class schedule, getting your work schedule done and set in stone as early as possible. Essentially, whatever you can do to gain the most control of your schedule, do that. Because I find that balance is most difficult when you're really constrained, either by a boss who's forcing you to work weird hours or by getting into the class schedule or too late and having to basically grab the scraps that are left over. So when you have autonomy over your schedule, you can... Build that around your preferences. Um, look at your your part-time jobs in terms of their place on the tier list and then ask yourself maybe do I need all these extracurriculars or do I need to sign up for a ton of classes or can this job actually make up for a fewer class uh, schedule on my, on my resume? And then time box, like Martin said, and batch your schedule together as much as you can. Yeah, and of course... Making your time more efficient is also going to help. So basically anything we talk about in like the episode where we're reviewing deep work or the productivity project, obviously if you're a more efficient worker, you can fit your work, your homework into a smaller amount of time and you have more hours to work and don't neglect your mental health. Don't go crazy working on stuff and then never hang out with your friends because that will mm -hmm. backfire. Yeah, definitely It'll keep backfire. your mental health in mind. Um, I would say that there were definitely semesters where I might have worked too much and I don't know why I did. Maybe it's just because I wanted more money. Um, actually, yeah, I think there was there was definitely one semester yeah. where it was just like, I'm going to have two jobs and also do freelance web dev and also do College Info Geek. And uh, I got very close to burnout during that semester. Yeah. And I remember being really mad because I could almost never go see my friends as much as I wanted to. So I cut back a lot in the next semester. I would say the pendulum swung too much the semester after that because I kind of quit all the jobs. Oh yeah. Thinking that, Hey, I'll have so much time for college info geek and I'll well, blog so much. You, you burned yourself out so much. You couldn't keep going. Yeah. So y you have to simultaneously avoid burnout, but also avoid giving yourself too much free time. I did think having a good scheduled structured, uh, day was helpful 
It's just that if you, if it gets too scheduled and, and too structured, then it can lead to burnout. Yeah. And there's no time. So I think that about covers it. Um, if you guys have any follow-up questions about this particular topic, definitely put them in our Reddit over at collegeinfogeek.com slash community, or you can leave them in the comments for the video version of this podcast over on YouTube, or you can tweet them to us. I'm Tom Frankly on Twitter. Martin is uh, at MPVBamey. We'll have those links in the show notes, along with everything else we talked about in this episode. Um, I think I have a, another part-time jobs episode of the podcast that's quite a bit older, but might have some good morsels in there. So if you want something else to follow up this episode with, check that out. Uh, Show notes are going to be over at CIGpodcast.com slash 165. We're really getting up there in episode numbers. Yep. So definitely check that out. You will also find a link to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. And that is one great way to support this show. It uh, bumps us up the rankings, helps other people find us. And we also get to know what you think. So definitely appreciate you if you do that. And thank you so much for listening regardless. Uh, I think that's about it. So until next week, thank you.